Gamers Anonymous, a podcast with gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Anthony. This is Chris. And this is Rob. Welcome to the episode. This is actually episode 25, so Gee, quarter of the go. way to 100, right? Congratulations <laughs> to both of you. Thank oh, you. thanks. It's like a marriage almost at this point. <laughs> 25 episodes together and we never had a fight. On air. On air. <laughs> the outtakes are coming. Oh, I can't wait to see that. I might actually have some somewhere. Oh, good. Just like snippets of sometimes funny, sometimes see, angry. It's like a lifetime special. See, see now, see now, I need to make up more outtakes, so I got to be more outrageously zany for you guys. Yeah, or just curse a lot, so I have to cut it. Well, yeah, we could do that too. Dot dot dot. We cut that. Ah, uh, good times. Then we'll eventually sell that on a separate podcast. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous. All of you. <laughs> After Dark Edition. <laughs> All right, so welcome back. This is, uh, we are just back from PAX, so obviously that's what we're going to talk about mostly. Played a ton of games, met a ton of great people. It was, it's my first convention, period, like, of any kind, so, um, unless you count Comic-Con last year for the one day, which I don't, but, uh, so it was, it was quite an experience. I had a lot of fun. We're going to talk about some of the games we saw, some of the companies that we talked to, some of the people we met. It was a lot of fun, so... Yeah, we definitely want to give you a sense of all the great stuff that happened down there in Boston. What a great city. And especially during this time of the year, they're kind of preparing for um, all the big events that are upcoming. And really a nice host city, nice places to visit, great people, and excellent, excellent opportunities to kind of reach out and kind of expand the hobby. Yes, it was really great to not be at PAX with you guys, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, I told you to get in the suitcase. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't fit. See, because I'm not, you know, I know I'm short, but I'm not that short, you know. I got to tell you, though, like the security for the convention center, eh, you probably could have snuck <laughs> You totally could have snuck in. <laughs> oh, that bad, huh? Yeah, they're like, we're going to look in your bag. Maybe we'll check if you have a pass. Nothing got scanned. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's very negligent <laughs> negligent right there. Um, if it was that easy to sneak in, I should have done it anyway. I should have drived up to Boston to join up with you guys. Next year, man. All the pictures I saw looked like it was a wonderful time. It was like, um, it was pretty much the uh, the pilgrimage to Mecca for the nerdthems. <laughs> yeah, it was a good mix. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Well, I guess I could get the ball rolling by asking the questions as the guy that was not there. But um, what Aww. did... What, <laughs> Yes, my, my cheeks are now rosy red in embarrassment for my own misfortunes, but that's okay, because while, while the cats were away, the mice were playing games, but... This is true. <laughs> speaking... We were driving. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but, um, how, well, I guess the first question then is, what was actually the first thing you guys did when you got there? Did you just, like, go right down to the floor, start playing random stuff, or did you start, uh, meeting and greeting? Uh, what did we do? We went to the tournament booth. Yeah, there was a, a nice schedule of, of events in advance, and all the board game tournaments kind of started at the same time. So around 11.30 to 1 o'clock pretty much was all the board game tournaments. So we kind of tried to find our way around the convention center. So the video games had this main center, you know, the premier spot, and the board games were kind of like in the back on the bottom floor. So you kind of had to walk around and around a bit. But we got over there, and the PAX East crew, the board game side, was doing a great job kind of lining up people for different tournaments. And I think the first one we, we um, jumped on was uh, Ticket to Ride. Yeah, yeah, Ticket to Ride. Um, all strangers. Nobody knew each other at the table, which was kind of cool. People from all over the place. Um, first round, I got second place. So I made it to the second round. And then they played a different version, so I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> although... The, although <laughs> What was really funny was, like Anthony was saying, like it didn't seem like people knew each other, but some people were like, you know, gaming the game a little bit. So it's like, oh, hi, sir, how are you? I'd like to play a game. Like, yeah, this seems a little odd. And the next thing you know, there's, you know, um, people sitting by and going, so how exactly does this game work? And the next thing you know, they're like, yeah, that's 25 points for that trail, and that's 35 points, and then, yeah, I'll do five more tickets. I'm like... All right. Hey, <laughs> this as, is going to be a long game. As long as they're not outright cheating, I guess it's okay. But. Nobody cheated. They are great. I mean, it was like you expect you walk into a tournament of anywhere and people are going to be nuts. And they weren't. No, they were, really, they were really down-to-earth fun people. And it was nice to be around just a group of people that had the passion for the game but didn't have the competitiveness about the game. So everyone was like, they were really trying hard. They were really 
grateful and thoughtful kind of plays and they they were helping each other out and kind of getting along but nobody was kind of losing their stuff over this they were just like oh man that was a really good play oh, i almost got to that how'd you do that that was great so it was really a nice feel throughout all the different tournaments so the boston convention center huge multiple multiple levels to it you had the video game portion which kind of closed down early the board game portion was open until close. So I think it was at 12, 1 o'clock in the morning where mm -hmm. that actually closed down. Which was really nice because you got to play games. And pe probably people who've never played hobby board games who are video gamers could kind of come out and try something different. And when we first got there, it was like, wow, there's a lot of tables. This will be fun. And, you know, but yeah, there's only a couple of us, maybe a couple, maybe two, three hundred. And then by noon, there had to be, what, 2,000 so odd people at the tables. It was just the table was just covered with people. It was just, it was amazing to see all these different games. And it was so much fun to be able to walk around and go, I know that game. I know that game. I can play that game. I know that game. <laughs> I played this last week in the store. Yeah. <laughs> Let me show them how it's done. <laughs> I can teach all of these games. Exactly. I guess I, next good question then for a segue here, but uh, what were the new games that you were able to play? Yeah, so we played a ton of stuff. I actually had to make a list because I knew I was going to forget all these. But, um... <laughs> I mean, the first day just kind of did the rounds, but, you know, over the next three days, we tried to play as much as we could. Um, you know, a couple of them are big-name games. We played Rivet Wars, you know, got the demo in on that, finally. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And most of these, we played kind of like demo versions of the game, so we don't really get a full version of the game, which is kind of, you know... So, like, how does a demo version work? Is it like a quick, oh, here's like a 20-minute scenario or something like that? Yeah, or they'll, you know, if say you have to... Everybody has 30 life, they'll start you at 15. Okay. And I, and I think that was across the board. Whatever games that we demoed, they always said, like, well, we'll do it the convention version, which was, like like Anthony was saying, 50, like half the health, half the time, or half the units, just not to kind of get too bogged down. In, in a weird way, that's actually smart marketing, number sure. one, because if you're able to show people, like, oh, I've heard of this, but I don't know if I want to play. It looks complicated. But, oh, demo version, 15 minutes, sit down, we'll teach you in, like, that much time, and then you'll be done before you know it, and what do you think? And not only that, but then it shows that your rule set for how the game is played, through mechanics and everything else, is very solid, because you can truncate the main game and still make it enjoyable, fun, and a good demo, a good thing. Sure. It's what game companies should be doing. And that's the real challenge of any of these hobby board games, is to get people just to kind of sit down and kind of get used to the rules a little bit, because... When you pick up that rule book and it's like, you know, 10, 15, 20 pages, it's like, ah, yeah, that's going to take a couple of weeks. But if you get to sit down and just spend five, 10 minutes kind of going through a game, you got you got a handle on it. And you can kind of pick up the other stuff later. So a, a fun fact, uh, pe uh, people are usually better at learning when they are told how to do it. It's like sh teaching the man to fish versus fishing for them. Sure. So I always think that that is a better skill if you can teach someone how to play it without going through like 30 pages of rules if you could do it in like 10 minutes 20 minutes you're yeah. already making up uh, half the time which is what was so cool because a lot of these i mean some of them were like bigger companies you know rivet wars cool stuff or it was cool, cool mini or not had um you know demo people there that they work for the company but they didn't you know, they weren't like the people who designed the game but then say we played you know like what the food um <laughs> which is this really cute kind of uh I don't know, like Gotcha Game by this by uh, Peter Vaughn, who we met at um, what was the name of the booth? Ad Magic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's the publisher was Ad Magic, but he's you know you know designer of the game itself, and he showed it to us, and it was really cute. It was really fun, but he designed it, so it took him no time. To, like how many times has he probably explained this game to people? Every single time. Yeah, thousands of times. And he was able to run through a bunch of games too, so that was pretty nice. And ILO had people there, which was great. We we demoed a bunch of games there. So that was that was fun too. I liked Rivet Wars. That was that was a lot of fun, and uh, we had the opportunity, like Anthony was saying, to kind of play just through a really basic version. But it just kind of sets up it's a two-player game. You have the opposite side forces. You kind of set up your troops. Each person goes, and it was it was fun. It was fun, light, cute. It was nice to see the miniatures. They actually really. It was nice because you see the pictures with the detail, and you're like, yeah, probably doesn't have that really detail in person, but had that really nice detail on it. Um, I wish we did get a chance to play with the bigger units. There's also a multitude of different expansion units and things like that. So I'm hoping to get a chance to play with those 
um, in the future. Yeah, there's a ton of rules we didn't play with either. Like we walked away and we're like that was kind of simple, and, then, and he was talking all these like rivet points and extra things that we yeah, didn't even can... touch. And I was like, oh, hmm. there's a lot more to this game than we got a chance to play. That could actually be worrisome because if those rules actually change how the simple mechanics work, that might color the perception of the game later on. Yeah, I mean, I would like to play it with a full rule set, but everything I've heard from people who have played it, it's you know, it plays it's just as tight with the full rules. But that's obviously something like once we get a full game of it in, we'll get a back to you with a full review. But um, yeah, I picked I picked this up, so we'll get a chance to to actually play this. But um, I'm hoping I'm hoping to see like the future expansions to get a real feel for the game because I don't think we I don't think it had the full flavor with just the ground troops. I think it needed. I think it, the the other expansions comes with the planes and it comes with other additional kind of upgrades. So I think that's going to give it the, the kind of a real feel for the game itself. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. <clears throat> All right, another big game that we've got to play, um, and this one is not quite out yet, um, but I, they were selling it on the floor, so I know that it's close to being out. Is a uh, Galactic Strike Force. That's the new game from the uh, Greater Than game. So these are the guys who make um, Sentinels of the Multiverse. And it would be fair to call it a Sentinels in Space. <laughs> it's the same kind of idea. You know, it's you know, a multiplayer co-op. You're playing against enemies on the board. Everybody's playing their own deck, but you work together to decide what you want to do. The turns kind of happen out of order. It's, I mean, I'm sure there's an order to it, but we didn't really play in order. <laughs> um <laughs> So it's like a Star Warsian type of theme, or is it more just space opera? Space opera, yeah. Yeah, it had a. They had this big kind of like nylon plastic sheet, which kind of kind of placed everything on the board. So you have these three different sections, like three different parts of the universe, and then you have like your ship, which has which is connected to a deck, and then there's enemy units on each part of the space. So you you commit your ship to kind of fight or defend that area mm. and then you play the deck it's a little bit it's a little bit of like a deck deck builder a little bit in that way where you're kind of playing cards you're buying cards you're fighting enemies and it's it has that same kind of simple simple mechanic as far as it has this kind of attack it has this kind of defense you do your attack and it reduces and it was light it was quick um i i think at least the rules that we played i'm sure it goes much deeper than that i think that was kind of like a you know, convention kind of version of it. And we actually got to play with um, someone from the staff who was dressed up as Legacy from Sentinels of the Multiverse. So I'm like, Anthony's sitting across from me and Legacy is sitting like once chair over. And Legacy, I'll go do this. I'm like, sure you will, because you're the hero. Go ahead. You could take care of that guy completely. <laughs> so when you fought Baron Blade, um, did he actually kill you when he threw you in that time stream? Or are you just still really the 35th Legacy? What? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Only people who have played Sentinels of the Multiverse might understand that I know joke. what you're talking about, Rob. Yeah. I know. I've played right. it twice. Man. <laughs> um, it was fun, though. It was. I, I contemplated picking it up just because they had it. I know it's on pre-order everywhere else. Um, I think it's like 40 bucks, so it's the same pricing as Sentinels. Cards seem like a decent quality over maybe Sentinels. Probably. Um, it's. I don't know what components come in the box because they had all these extras that they were selling. Like the mat was extra, the minis were extra... I don't know what you would actually get in the base box because we play with everything that comes that you could get. Um, and I think you need the mat. The so, mat is cool. It's like the size of this table. Which and the, <laughs> by, by this table, he means the one he's pointing to that you guys can't exactly. see. Exactly. Well, I'm talking so, to you guys. So, it, 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 and, and just to point it out, it is a rectangular table. <laughs> it is not a round table. So that's a clue as to how big this mat is. How big is the table? It's big Ooh. enough. Ooh. Can well, you... What would you say it was about six by three? Uh, the mat. Maybe, it was bigger than the table. Maybe four by two, five by two. Bigger than that, because we had three people sitting in a row on each side. So it, it has to be two, four, six. It has to be at least six feet, six feet long. It was huge. Still big enough. Yeah, that's yeah. the point. Yeah, I think it was probably about the same size as the mat for Sentinels of the Multiverse. But I think this one is more essential because you do set up the the space area. You do set up. You do set up the. The store and the ships, you really do need that kind of way to kind of contain everything. Yeah. And it costs more than the game. It does. So. Really? Yeah. At least more than the base game, yeah. yeah. Wow. 50 bucks for the mat, 40 bucks for the game. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to do it. Yeah, yeah. It works for them. Who were some of the, uh, some of the like, smaller time indie type of groups that you were able to uh, meet and greet with? 
Yeah, so there was a couple pretty cool ones we met with. Um, you know, one of the coolest ones I thought, and it was towards the, you know, it was like the end of the day and they were packing up. So the fact that they let us kind of stick around and he showed us the game was um, Dan Eichler, who uh, he just put this game out on Kickstarter like that day. I think it was Saturday. So he was wiped. Like he didn't have his voice and he looked like he wanted to pass out. But they were really nice. Like we just, you know, we floating by the booth and we're like, yeah, we'd love to try the game. But it's called Minion. Um, and the pitch is, you know, if you don't want to, if you like games like Magic, but you don't want to buy all the stupid cards <laughs> over and over again every four months. Sounds about right. Go broke, right? So the game, it does play a little bit like that. It's got similar mechanics. You have a certain amount of health. You're wearing it down. It does play more than two people. But, um, you know, he gave us a good chunk of a demo, which is great because, the, you know, like I said, they were trying to pack up. But this is actually on Kickstarter right now. So when this comes out, I think they got three weeks left. Um, they're sitting a good, like, 60% or so on their total pledge goal. So it's, it's close. Um, it's a solid game. We played a good chunk of it. We didn't finish a full game, haven't seen all of it, but the artwork looks great. Uh, the mechanics are there. It's... It's gonna be pretty funny, I think. Like there was some there were some jokes in there that might have been borderline IP issues, but he's le- legally distinct. Legally distinct, and they're working on the art. But um, <laughs> this is our generic superhero number three, or generic uh, monster number seven. You know them as hobbits. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it plays a lot, like I said, it has that magic feel, but it also is a very kind of Munchkin kind of game because mm-hmm. you you have the you have that pretty much the deck in front of you. And you're going to draw cards, and you just play cards against each other, and you kind of whittle down someone else's health. But the artwork is amazing, and um, we met the other Dan. There's actually two Dans. One Dan was doing the artwork as well, and they also told us a story about how the artwork was going. They actually got somebody to do the artwork, and he was able to, through that job, through that independent job, was actually able to propose and that was going to help financially with his wedding and everything. So it was like really that kind of small town family kind of like really reaching out to artists in the community. And it looks a lot of fun for the game. Yeah. And it's, I just think it's really cool they launched their Kickstarter at PAX. I think if you go on there, like the video they have on there, is he recorded it at it's PAX. A, it's at PAX, definitely. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. Um, and I know he said the feedback was great. So, you know, we wish them the best of luck. Hoping to see that game when it's finished. Always, yeah. Uh, so another game we checked out there, and this one actually already did a Kickstarter, so it's already funded. You're going to be able to buy it in a couple months, is uh, High Heavens. Now, this is a game I liked a lot. I thought it was pretty cool. And it has this mechanic. Um, it's really a component mechanic. It's not even really like vital to the way the game plays, but it's just cool. It's the way that the health is counted. So like, it's basically you're playing one pantheon of gods against another. So we played the Greeks versus the Norse. Um, and you, you each have your own little deck of cards, and you'll draw up to five, you'll play them, so you can put down, you know, one of your gods. Um, and it's basically just a one-on-one combat game, and it's super aggressive. It's definitely designed for you to go at each other as quickly as possible, and the goal is to either wipe out the other pantheon or take out their capital. Well, when you're playing the Norse, you kind of need to wipe out the other pantheon quickly because that's what you would do. I mean, if you ever read Norse mythology, it's just like crazy. It's just like blood and death all over the place. It's like a, it's like almost like Heavy Metal the magazine. <laughs> Odin one eye spares his brother's sword to kill hell, and that's the name of the goddess. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, man, and it's, it had that kind of feel. I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't you know obscene or gory or anything like that. It was very no classical in sense like the artwork was very classical but mm. it was a the artwork was very good like it's on the cards and we were playing you know an early it wasn't a production version of the game yet it was i don't think it was quite prototype but it was you know early version but the artwork was final it looked very good but the thing that's different about this game the thing that kind of like the big thing that you'll see if you see people playing it is that there's these little rings that stack on top of each other and then you put your god on top of it because it's a miniature game so you'll have, like, your little miniature of Athena on top of ten health rings, and then you can have rings for armor and for, you know, bonus attack and for poison. So, you know, all these different rings. And as you take damage, you start to 
take them down. So your god gets lower and lower and lower as they get closer to death. It's like a real Oedipus complex there. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, it takes the theme very literally. Like, your high heavens, if you're, you know, like, if you put out Odin, he has, like, 14 rings. He's way up there. And you chip away at him. Um, and some of the lesser gods don't have quite as much. The The actual mechanics of the game are relatively simple. And, you know, we played... We actually played rather long, but... Yeah, we, we played a full game of, of that. And there's also the Egyptian gods, too, which we didn't get a chance to play. But what's interesting about that mechanic, as far as the little rings are concerned, is that um, the life counters that are available to kind of summon gods. So if I did want to summon Odin, and he had 14 health, but there was only five rings available, I couldn't bring him onto the board. So there is a sense of, like, you might want to kind of take some people down in order to kind of bring some other people up. There was additional spells. There were additional weapons that kind of gave you other rings to kind of play as. It's it's a fun, interesting game. It's a two-player game. And uh, I don't know. We really liked it. Any other shout-outs you want to give while we, while we still can? Yeah. <laughs> um, see, one other big game we've played, and this is you know another major release coming out, probably end of summertime, so maybe Gen Con-ish, was um, Shadowrun, the Crossfire deck-building game. Oh goodness! So it's it's based in the Shadowrun RPG universe, and it's a cooperative deck builder. So um, everybody's it's an interesting mechanic because everybody has their own sheet, everybody has their own enemy, their own enemy they play against, but you're all playing together in this you know campaign of sorts. Um, you have a mission that tells you what you have to do to win, so you can attack other people's enemies. So it's all cooperative who you attack, but your enemy's going to hit you. So, you know, if, let's say, you know, someone over there is about to die, it's in your best interest to kill their enemy before you kill yours, even if yours is going to de- damage you. Um, that could open up a can of worms in a lot of ways. Man, oh man, I could I could just see it now like, oh, you didn't save me last time. Yeah, but I was trying to save myself because I was going to die too. <laughs> I mean, the game ends if somebody dies. That that makes it even worse. If you if you get it down to just two people that are about to die, and you can only save one, then it it's almost fruitless. Yeah, and we got to that point. So what was interesting about this game, it has that risk legacy mechanic where, when you finish the game, if your character reaches a certain level or does a certain number of um, quests and abilities, you'll actually get to put a sticker on the card that will give that that character an additional ability next game. So you can kind of, in a way, level up your character in that way. So that was kind of interesting. That would probably add to the kind of replay. I think he was saying 20 different race cards, and then it would be four different classes. Yeah. It, it, it's a little reminiscent of uh, the way you just described that, Chris, was like the Pathfinder card game. Sure. The role-playing card game, which uh, which is you know floating around the store a lot lately, too. Um, because they have a very similar setup where you level up as you go and you can do long-term campaigns with just a deck of cards. Yeah, it's kind of cool. You know, it's a, maybe like that cyberpunk itch. You know, I know a lot of people like Shadowrun. You know, they had the their fifth anniversary uh, edition came out, or the 5.0 edition came out this last year. The iOS app. Um, Two so. Kickstarter games. Yeah, it's it's been a hot IP lately. So it'll be interesting to see how this one does. Um, and So that's Catalyst Games, which... You know, they they usually do like things like BattleTech and of all things the Duke. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good mix right there. Yeah, I know. You no, Shadowrun, <laughs> hardcore BattleTech, Shadowrun, and then the Duke. That doesn't fit. Yeah. Oh well, <laughs> but it's awesome because it's chess only, super awesome and hardcore. Hey, I love that game. I do too. It's a really <laughs> fun game. It's what chess should be like. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Like they had it set up, and I was like, I want to play. I don't need to. I have it at the hotel. I don't need to play the demo at PAX. Um, so that'll be cool. I look forward to playing like the full version of that when it comes out, too. So I got a chance to meet Chris O'Neill from Ninth Level Games, and he's best known for an RPG that's been out some, quite some time called Kobolds Ate My Baby. So this is, if you take a look at the at least the cover art and the art inside the game, this is John Kolvik. Um, famous for the Munchkin artwork. So it's really cute, really kind of wacky, kind of fun, lighthearted. And it's a very light, simple RPG. Um, We didn't have a chance to get to play it because of our schedule, but he was nice enough to kind of um, let me try out one of his kind of small games, which was called um, Knuckle Sandwich. 
Okay. Have you seen uh, the thing? Yeah. So a uh, a Kobolds <laughs> ate my baby card game. So if you've ever played Love Letter, it plays very similar to that. You have the different cards from zero to nine. Obviously, the ninth card is the most powerful one card at the end, if you can get to the end. And the cards have different abilities, which will, in this way, you really are hungry kobold and you really want to eat. But there may not be a lot of food around, but there are your favorite, your, you know, your fellow kobolds around. So you'll be playing cards in order to eat your friends, I guess. And the cards are really interesting because it'll say things like... Guess what? Guess what? One of the other kobolds tastes like, and so you you'll have one card in your hand, and you'll pick up a card, a, a la love letter, and each of the cards you have has a certain number with, just like love letter, but it will also tell you it tastes like blank, so it tastes like chicken or it tastes like bacon or something. So like like, hey Rob, I bet you taste like chicken, and if you have the card and it says tastes like chicken, I get to eat you and put that on my plate, so I can score points that way. Sorry, Phil, but it's the choice between me dying or me gnawing on your knees. <laughs> we all know what's going to happen now. Yeah, I love the humor in this. It's awesome. Yeah, so it's a cute little fast card game, and uh, if it's if the RPG is anything like this, it's definitely a, an opportunity to pick this up. The card game is fun. It really kind of scratches that itch as far as the love letter mechanic, but with a little more D&D kind of ruthless flavor to it. No pun intended. Um, or pun intended. <laughs> all right, so yeah, I mean... And there was a lot of other people we met there, too. I mean, we don't want to give anybody short shrift, but, um, you know, we met uh, Luis and Miguel Lugo. They had Super Fantasy Rumble. Which seemed like a lot of fun, unfortunately, because there were so many people playing it, we didn't get a chance to check it out. Yeah. Um, another game we got to try out was Clockwork. Um, we met Nick there at the, at, the, at the floor, and he is prepping this game for Kickstarter. So we just played a prototype. The game itself, I think you said it reminded you of Wiz Wars. Yeah, you... You can pick one of these four different classes, and you want, we were on a team two versus two, but I think what the, the interesting thing about the game is that the components are built in such a way that you could play it a lot of different ways, and I think that was his intention. You could do a, a classic dungeon crawl, or you could do you know, player versus player, or team versus team. We did a team versus team, and it was basically move through this kind of cavern, and then play your spell cards. So... You, you know, and the spell cards were kind of unique for that character's class. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how this kind of looks in its final form and all the different possibilities that it could play out. Yeah, it'll be fun to see. So I've actually been in touch with him a little bit on Facebook, so hopefully he'll let us know when that gets ready for Kickstarter so we can uh, point everybody at it. That sounds like a good, actually sounds like a good mechanic too with the, the way it is, because I have played Wiz Wars, mm-hmm. or at least I've almost played Wiz Wars, sure. I should say, because uh, I, re- I remember that night, but um, it sounds so dramatic, I remember that night. It was dark and stormy. What? Like, didn't you just have to go to bed? I don't remember what. A thousand years ago, when I almost played Wiz War. In a world where Wiz Wars is unplayable. <laughs> but uh, in all seriousness, though, that does actually sound good. I liked how Wiz Wars looked. I like how it mechanically looks. Sure. I'm looking forward to bringing that back out to the store and picking up the expansion hopefully soon, because... It adds a lot, a lot of different gameplay to it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so the one other game that we saw, and we didn't get a chance to play it because we kind of ran across it on our way out. Like we had our bags, we were going to the car. But oh god! <laughs> but we we wanted to stop and say hi um, at the Smirk and Dagger booth because Kurt, who uh, runs Smirk and Dagger, actually helped us out during Extra Life. So he sent us a few games. Um, we knew he was there. We didn't have a chance to talk to him earlier in the weekend, so I wanted to stop and you know thank him for the games he sent out. Let him know how well the Kickstarter or the uh, Extra Life event went, and you know just say hi. But while we were there, he showed us this new game uh, called Student Bodies. Um, so if you've played Cutthroat Caverns, it's got a similar idea as most Smirk and Dagger games do, um, where you're it's cooperative, but at any moment you're going to turn against everybody else to because there's one winner, of course. Um, but they're high school students in a hallway fighting zombies. But they've all been bitten, so it's only a matter of time. <laughs> in a world where it's only a matter of time. You will die when I say. But this game looked pretty cool. I mean, it's 
it's zombies. You are dealing with another zombie game, but it's got a cool twist. It's high schoolers, so you're not. <laughs> you're attacking things with, <laughs> with beakers and backpacks and skateboard. I don't know. It's... If I may interject for a moment, um, as someone who actually has taught high school kids, they don't use beakers anymore. Um, backpacks, no, they're not going to use a backpack. They're just going to punch them. That's Maybe pretty a, much. Yeah. Maybe well, a skateboard. Well, the game is so everyone's bitten. You have to run to grab the antidote, and only one can escape. So at some point, everyone else is going to turn to zombies, and they can be smart zombies to attack you. So maybe it's a culture critique on the education system, <laughs> or maybe it's just a kind of another zombie awesome game. Where zombie you, game. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I don't think we're that lucky. It's a culture critique, but if it is, good job, Kurt. <laughs> yeah. So this game is actually it's it was developed by Matthew Regney, uh, Angry Duck Games, and then uh, Smirk and Dagger. Kurt, they're putting it out for him. It's his first game, so we actually got to meet him as well, and he told us a little bit about the game. So yeah, it was it was a really great time. There was so many different companies, and we could probably spend another hour just kind of going through everyone. Um, one one person definitely to point out is we got the chance to talk to uh, Dan Yarrington over at Game Salute, and he had a number of games that he was he was demoing for people, and once again, just incredibly packed because all his games are doing quite well. Um, as we said earlier, ILO had a huge number of people, including a gigantic King of Tokyo set kind of set up. So me and Anthony were kind of playing over there, yeah. too. Oh, I saw the pictures of that. Holy God. Those were, <laughs> you should have brought one of those cutouts home. <laughs> Just walk away with it. Yeah. How easy that would be to do. Yeah. Don't mind me. I, I got the king with me. He's he's good. He's cool, Just, right? Just stick it under your jacket. No, no, no. <laughs> That was that was PAX. I mean, PAX, it was a lot of fun. It was a great first convention. It's a gamer's convention. Um, I'm equally looking forward to going to things like Origins and Gen Con in the summer, if we can make it out there. But this was a lot of fun, and I'm really glad we made it up to Boston. Definitely going to go next year. That sounds like you guys had a really good time. So You're coming with next time. Well, yeah. Start saving. Yeah, I guess I have no choice now. Yep. All right, so in other news, of course, there are other games coming out. There are things on Kickstarter, and there are apps for my iPad that are eating up all my time. Um, Chris, you just posted something about the Love Letter Wedding Edition. Yeah, this is really interesting. I guess, I guess you know, Love Letter is doing so well and has so many iterations now at this point. They actually created a wedding edition of Love Letter. So if you, and this is not for retail sale, but if you happen to be getting married and you want to contact them, they will actually, with some you know verification, maybe something from the newspaper, they will actually send you a version of Love Letter that is the wedding edition. So you'll it'll actually have the white bag with the gold lettering on that and um, just something along for your wedding. And they, they ask about how you're going to incorporate the game into your wedding. I don't know what that means <laughs> or how that would actually happen. But well, obviously the priest will be dressed up like the <laughs> priest right. in love letter. <laughs> the princess will always have that pose. And he would get to look at your cards, which would be weird. <laughs> the handmaiden will block people from bothering you. And if the baron shows up, well, make sure there's not another baron there. <laughs> it's true. It's get very thematic very quickly. So AEG did a great job here. It's lovely as part of the Tempest universe. And it's really a nice idea, especially for gamers, because there's so much a part you know, of what we do every day. So nice job for them. Yeah, definitely. They're going to milk that thing all day long. <laughs> Talking about games that are mainstream versus hobbyists now, I mean, Love Letter, can we say it's like Monopoly yet? I think so. I mean, it's, it's, getting, it's, there. it's getting there. I mean, the micro game revolution is if not totally you know i would say probably love letter is almost completely responsible for that i mean there's been other micro games there's been other small games but the, the, the love letter has changed the market everybody like we talked about earlier the cobalt's game is love letter and there's other versions of that too to be able to pull off such a fun complex game with such simple components and just have so many people interested in playing with it. It's just a great job. And then you get variations on the same components with uh, different card games like Coup, Masquerade, you know, all these different things that throw in their own little widgets into the mix. It just makes, you know, it's good to see that too because now there is another market out there. It shows that these type of games are viable. They're cheap, they're easy, they're quick, they're fun to play. Go crazy. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's funny the kind of games that are becoming mainstream because, like, even just a year or two ago, if I said I played board games, 
the first thing anybody says is, oh, like Scrabble. And then the second thing anybody says is, I used to love Monopoly. <laughs> Both of which are like, uh But now I get people who say things like Ticket to Ride. Everybody mentions Cards Against Humanity, which is not a board game, but close it, enough. It counts. It counts because it's a hobby thing. Yeah, it's it's a small company. It's, it's a on, Kickstarter. It's on a board. <laughs> yeah. The board's usually a table. <laughs> yeah, one of the main mechanics involves a case of beer. So That's true. <laughs> but it's interesting. It's not Monopoly anymore. It's... You know, these things people play with their friends. So It always makes me wonder, like, are we, like, does it ever feel like we're turning our backs against to things like Monopoly, Scrabble, or Clue, or Sorry, or any of these other games which were mainstream that we all grew up with as kids? I don't know. I mean, I, I still like Scrabble. I still play it. Um, I guess I don't bring it to the store, but I still like it. Monopoly, I never liked. Like, even as a kid, I didn't like that game. It's not... I, I like Monopoly. I mean, it, it has it's a roll-and-move game. I think the simple mechanics kind of are challenging. And the fact that it does have that kind of brutal, kind of, like, take out your neighbors, and they still have to watch you play, even if they're kind of, like, you know, maybe they're holding on to a dollar, and they're just kind of running around the board for another half hour so. It's the type of game that probably, if it came out today, wouldn't see the mass appeal that it already has, because it really is somewhat part of our cultural identity, like, you know, an, an American type of game. But, you know, every once in a while it's fun to play, and there's a lot of games like that, a lot of kind of early family kind of party games. It's just there's other games that kind of, like, employ those mechanics in a better way. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if someone brought out Monopoly, I, you know, play, play a round or two. We're way, way off the rails which brings me to expansions for trains. Oh, ho, ho, I see I what you see did, what there. I did there. Now that's, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, that is a segue. All right. That's why he's the host. <laughs> All right. Um, so trains, uh, one of those happy surprises of the last year. I, I love this game. I think it's one of the more interesting, unique uh, deck building experiences that came out in the last year or so. Um, has some new versions, expansions, etc., coming out. The first of them being Trains Rising Sun. Um, now, when this comes out, nobody's really sure. They're saying something in the summer, maybe late the year. There's also a German Northeast USA map coming out. So they're pulling the ticket to ride and releasing map packs now. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> we know how well that works for Ticket to Ride. Yeah, that's true. It should be fun. I mean, if, if they can find a way to s make it clear that the map is actually... <laughs> more than just because the original map if you've played trains it's pretty bland you know it's just hexes it has names of cities on it but it's not really there's no rhyme or reason to the map there's no topography or anything there um if they actually put some work in the art on the map make it more like a ticket to ride map it'll definitely add a lot to the game you know i think that was the one weakness about that game was there was some really prime spots and if you didn't get those you kind of really had your back against the wall the entire game so having new maps or different ways to play would probably be great because the card art and the mechanics are really nicely done i mean it's it is a dominion clone it's not trying not to be so uh, <laughs> but it's it's a lot of fun it's dominion with root building though it's yeah. a hybrid well that will be with the root with the root building the other one was just kind of like you place cubes down kind of situation yeah yeah it's cool. fun and then there's a version I, I don't know if it's a new game or like a variation on trains, but planes, which is... <laughs> We're just one more word away from automobiles. Oh, it's coming. <laughs> but that, that game's already been made. Yeah, but this one will be new in Japanese. That's true. <laughs> but uh, that would be cool. I'm looking forward to that because I do like trains a lot. All right, so that's everything in the news this week. Uh, next up, some of our uh, acquisition disorders. Acquisition Disorder Corner. Let's ignore everything from packs and just <laughs> let's keep the list short. Uh, the li the list is incredibly long and cumbersome, but um, if it's okay, I'll go first because I acquired nothing. Well, that's actually not true. Um, <laughs> I acquired two things. I actually finally bit the bullet and bought Sentinels. I did. Oh, okay, I cool. did. Nice. So, because uh, I figured we talked about it so much, I might as well get it. How much of Sentinels did you buy? Just the main box okay. and all the loose promos. Oh, really? Okay. So I'm up to date on that. The other three big boxes, I gotta wait to like get monies. 
Sure. <laughs> um, but the other uh, acquired game this month for me and my gaming budget was a little game called Splendor, which was uh, pretty fun. Uh, it's basically uh, a game where you, well, let's face it, you're playing like jewel uh, merchants who are mining jewels to sell them to nobles, and the goal is pretty much just that. So you got to get 15 victory points to win. Um, and the game comes with some really great pieces. Like, for example, you get poker chips, really fantastic clay poker chips that are color-coded and have these great, like, pictures of, like, gems on them. The card stocks are really good. You have good artwork on all the cards. It's really, like, kind of like a quasi-Renaissance-y feel. So the, the components look great. Mechanics are really simple. Everyone takes a turn and either, like, takes gems, and that's them mining them, and then they use the gems to buy cards. Once you buy the cards, they usually have a gem, they have a gem on top, and that now adds to your pile. As you continue to buy cards, you no longer need to mine for gems, you just have the gems made. So then you can buy the more expensive cards as time goes on. First person to 15 points wins. Or, well, first person to 15 points ends the game, then you get one more round around the table, and then you tally it up and see who wins. Really simple, really short to the point, um, lots of fun. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with this. Um, it's a Reiner Knizia game, right? I believe so. Yeah. Because it's got that abstract kind of simple art, but like, you know, deceptively simple, addictive gameplay aspect to it. It definitely had that, uh, like I was telling you, Rob, it had like a, a Dominion kind of deck builder because you're picking up the first level of these gems and then you're kind of piling these up to pick up the second level, which kind of gets you a card and you're picking up those for the third level, which is scoring you points. So it was a, it's a nice kind of easy progression, and everything's kind of out there in front of you, so it's pretty easy to kind of like figure out where you're going next, and then you have that wild gem where you can kind of pull a card over and hold it for yourself. Yes, there's a, a wild card token. It's a, They call it the Joker token. It's basically a gold coin. You could reserve a card, on any card on the board, or one of the cards that are still under the deck for yourself. You could do this up to three times. And then once you pay them off, you get the wild token. It can be any gem you want. And it's a good way to like mess with strategies, build up strategies, try and second-guess your opponent. So if you notice they're going for a certain card, well, I'll take that. So you're, you're out of that mix. I got this now. Well, Rob is explaining what he did to me the first game we played. That's true. But this, <laughs> is, this is also something other people have done to me since because they've it. catched on. But it's a lot of fun as far as you hold a card, you have enough to build that card... And then you get that wild gem, and then, then you're able to play that on another card, so it kind of really cycles pretty quickly. It does. It's a relatively quick game, or should be. Um, it, it, it's very slow in the beginning because we're still building up uh, the gems, and you can only take so much. It's like one, of, one, of each, one color out of five colors, or two of the same color, as long as there's enough to do so. But uh, it, it is a slow build, but once you get past a certain point, then it'll be like, oh, I got that for free, got that for free, I get that for free, and I get those points there, you know. So you, it could escalate really quick and just end, like, in a snap, abruptly. And I tried to do a snap with my finger and failed miserably there. <laughs> there you go. There, there's a sound bite for I'll you. I'll splice it in. <laughs> All right. No, you don't have to splice it in. No, I'm not doing that. <laughs> uh, yeah, Splendor is a really fun game. It looks... I think there's you, you look at the box and it doesn't look like a whole lot. It looks like a pretty simple game. Then you open it up and it looks like still looks like a simple game. It looks like a very simple game. <laughs> you you really don't get the feel of like the, how strong the game mechanics are and how much fun it can be until you actually start playing it and get halfway through the first game because the like you said the first like twenty minutes are super slow. Yeah. And until you know why they're slow, it's. I'm not going to say boring. You're just like, what are we doing? I'm not. Get Nobody has any points for a long time. That's <laughs> true. And people use that to their advantage. Like, they would reserve a big card early on. Or they would, like, oh, we're just going to go for this color, and then I'll use this. Oh, because we got those colors on the top. I'll just get the regular gems, and now I got, like, four of this color, three of that color. I can buy one of the cards in the third tier, and that gives me four points quickly. And then there's that those tiles up at top. Which, if you have to have, like, usually it's three, three, and three, or four, and three. So 
you just gain those by having enough resources in front of you, at least card-wise. Yes. They, they represent the nobles that notice that you're a very savvy gem merchant, and they want you to, uh, you know, give you a lot, give you, buy a lot of gems from you, basically. Yeah. So it doesn't take up a lot of table space. You have the gems, you have a couple lines of cards, and you have those nobles up top. Plays pretty fast, would you say, about half hour 45 minutes if everyone's on board 30 30 minutes to 45 an hour at most if people are still learning i've sure. noticed but once people have learned it it goes quick 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 so i do recommend the play for sure you know and i would honestly say go and buy it i would say it's it's worth it okay i would say the mechanics it's it's kind of it's it's a pull for me because it's like the mechanics are not heavy enough that it makes me want to go out and buy this to play multiple times. But at the same time, the, the simpleness of the mechanics probably makes it easy enough that I could probably play this with anybody. You know, my family might be like, hey, wait, what? this seems complicated. No, you just have to have a, enough of any color in order to get the card. Oh, all right. Yeah, I can do that. That's pretty easy to manage. So I guess if you get this as a good price, that this is a buy. It's one of those games that's not going to keep your attention for very long, but it's definitely something you can play with a lot of people. So for that fact alone, um, I would pick this up. Yeah, I agree. Um, easy to teach, easy to learn. You could probably have anybody play this game. It, it's something you can put in your collection and you'd probably pull it out. You know, Even if even once the initial, this is awesome, burns off, <laughs> um, you probably play it You know, every month or two just because it's simple and quick and easy. And you could you know, say you have people over for dinner and they're not big gamers. You could probably get them to learn how to play this. That's the key in the end. Simple, quick, and easy is almost always, well, for me at least, it's almost always like that's already a plus because sure. everyone has a busy life every all the time. We're working, you know, dealing with kids if we have kids or all these other things. And quick games like that are what keeps the not only the hobby going but interest in gaming going. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so other games that I want to buy... Um, <laughs> I did buy one. Uh, I spent all of PAX trying to get a demo of Myth. And, like, two times, two times out of the three days, ran over there, was like, there's a spot at the table. Someone beat me in the door. That's how popular this game was at, at the convention. Like, everybody wanted to play. Uh, so, on Sunday, I just bought it. I just, I just, ah, forget it. Uh, I'll just bite the bullet here. So, how does it play? Uh, I haven't played it yet. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler, it could be a future review. Could be. Dun, dun, dun. If I get through the 65-page rulebook. <laughs> Talk about a chance where you really needed a demo to get through the rules. Yeah, yeah, it would have helped. I mean, I, I wanted to use the demo as, like, a buying decision, and I ended up buying it anyways, but now I wish I'd done it just to learn how to play. Um, I guess YouTube helps with that. So. Well, at least you didn't get it for $800 like it was oh, online. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, the Kickstarter edition. I still wish they'd had it at the convention. I understand that you know they didn't print extra; it was very popular. But um, some of that other stuff looks really cool. But there aren't a lot of exclusives. There's a lot of stuff that came with the Kickstarter that they're gonna sell eventually. So I just have to be patient. Womp womp womp. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was my big purchase. Uh, brought home a few other random things. I got on sale. Got a copy of Spirium for half off. Got a an X-Wing miniature. Got some free Attack Wing miniatures. Yeah, that was that great panel. I don't play Attack Wing, but maybe I will now. There you go. There's your gateway drug. Yeah. Free stuff. Woo! Uh, Speaking of that... Yeah. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Segway. Segway. Because I'm a professional. Um, <laughs> wave 4. Um, this April will be probably the most anticipated wave out of any. Um, in particular because, well, let me let me get through the, the kind of the fluff stuff first. Um, you'll see a ship from, uh, this is the Voyager arc that's now kind of coming into play. So they will have two three-month tournaments that are upcoming. Before that, there are two one-month tournaments, but WizKid has, has a delay on some of their productions, so everything's been pushed back at least one month now. But nonetheless, the the new wave is coming out. It should be in stores, hopefully by the time you hear this. And there is the Nistrum Raider, which was one of the Kazon ships that was part of the Voyager universe. Um, there was the Bio ship, which played later in the series. 
Um, and obviously Voyager, which people were really excited. If you're a fan of that um, series, this is a great ship. It has a lot of great abilities. The the box that's actually holding Voyager is actually thicker than any of the other boxes because it had so many tokens and so many different objectives to it. So it's a lot of fun as far as that's concerned if you want to pick it up just for all the extra great stuff. The cards that come with these ships, I can probably spend another hour just talking about them. But the Voyager ship comes with a card that lets you shoot a torpedo that does... that that does 10 dice of damage, which is huge in this game. It's There's nothing like that. And there's also a number of different crew cards that are all great, and there's special abilities, which are great. So Janeway's special card ability lets you put two tokens down of the same type, which, if you haven't played that game, seems meaningless to you, but if for, for the game itself, it's it's a pretty big deal. He, he says that as he looks at me, because I'm, like, I'm a little glossy-eyed, like, what does this mean? Teach but, me, master. Yes. But the thing that everyone's really interested is the Borg actually come out in this, and... I know who they are. There you go. I know they have a cube, right? They do, but this one is actually a spear. So, if you had a chance to watch the Star Trek First Contact movie, which was part of the Next Generation series... There was this spear, you know, ship as part of the um, movie, and this ship is pretty incredible too because one, it also has a weapon that does ten dice of damage. It has a very unique movement strategy to it. So instead of having using the traditional arc templates, it actually um, spins, and you'll actually go kind of on the vertical and the horizontal axis. So it'll go straight in one of the four possible directions. Hmm. So it's really a different way to play the game. Andrew Parks did a great job coming up with something different and unique. And the captains are different. And we're going to see a lot of cards come into play. And if you are even close or even around someone playing Attack Wing, Borg is going to be the ships that everyone's going to play one way or the other because they're just pretty amazing kind of characters and abilities with them nice so definitely check that out and hopefully the new um op tournaments will happen soon so check out your local venue your local store and jump on those too yeah definitely um all right so one more thing from wiz kids because they always get a lot of love on our podcast <laughs> it's almost uh, like your fans or something total fanboy wiz kids <laughs> yeah yeah well the stuff they have the licenses for at least <laughs> You're like, oh, I'm resigned to this. I have to be. They make it happen. Uh, Marvel Dice Masters, Avengers vs. Um, X-Men. This is hot. It's sold out, even though it's in pre-order still. But we did get, like, a little taste, because during the panel we were at on Sunday, um, Bradley Cummings from uh, Board Game Geek handed out free sample packs. Like, the $1, like... Little booster. Booster packs are going to be selling later. Um, So we got to see what the cards look like and the dice... Uh, it's kind of cool. I mean, it's obviously I haven't played the game yet. I haven't seen any of the mechanics. I have no idea how it plays. I'm sure it's um, kind of like a magic courier's crossover. Yep. Uh, collectible, take here's my money kind of game. Um, <laughs> collectible dice game. Yeah. It's a collectible dice game. I never thought I'd see those two married together. But the thing, the cool thing though, and at least they were smart enough about this, the dice aren't collectible. Like the dice are all the same. Oh. Every character has the same dice. Well, the every... cards are rare. Ah. So you could have X, or you could have a Wolverine dice, and six different versions of Wolverine on different cards. You're gonna use the same dice. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there'll be some rare dice somewhere because, of course, it's Whiskits, but it's yeah. not different <laughs> dice for every version of Wolverine because that would suck. So, so the uh, the Shadowcat dice will uh, be all invisible. That would yeah, be awesome. <laughs> and and the, the die will pass through other dice. Exactly. That would be great. Uh, the Nightcrawler dice will disappear when you say, <laughs> and you close your eyes. Uh, the Beast dice are furry. Of course. I'm just naming names I remember from the X-Men cartoon. <laughs> so the, so there'll be a base set that'll have a, a whole chunk of dice, and then you'll buy the boosters, and the boosters are pretty cheap. They're about a buck. Yeah, a buck or two. Yeah. So And you'll get a card, and you'll get two die. With, you'll get two cards and two die. So if you have other dice that kind of match that, you can actually play with that character card. So it should be fun if it doesn't make you mortgage your house because yeah. it's definitely one of those things where you could easily mortgage buy thousands of well, these. And... I mean, I would say like with just $2 for 
couple two cards and two die, that seems like a very reasonable price. I mean, you're going to see people like buy, I'm going to get like six of these at one, so that's like 12 bucks. Yeah. Like, take my money there. But that's like already cheaper than a Magic Booster, which is like four bucks right there for 15 cards. Pokemon Booster, um, like four bucks for like 10 cards or something like that. I mean, for one dollar, they're going to build this game and people are going to eat it like popcorn. It's almost like a superfluous buy then. Yeah, yeah, and I mocked it a little when it was first announced because they just said dice. So I'm like, collectible dice? No. That's one of the reasons I don't like Quarriors. It's like you just you have dice. It doesn't feel like you have a thing. What is this new devilry? <laughs> but um, with the cards, you know, it, it mixes the best of both worlds. And you get to roll dice. So. Who doesn't like dice rolling? All right, so Marvel, Dice Masters, Avengers vs. X-Men. It is going to be in the stores at some point. It's Once going to they be, get over their delays, I it's guess. It's going to be everywhere. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, all right, so a couple other games that just kind of popped onto my radar in the last few days. I saw Roll for the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Um, I know nothing about this. I just, I'm just i trying to figure out how you're going to turn Race for the Galaxy into a dice game. Uh, if you could do it with Marvel versus the uh, with uh, Avengers and X-Men, they can do it with Race for the Galaxy. Yeah. And that seems to be another trend. You, you build this very complex, heavy game, which is great, and then you find an easy kind of dice version. So you have like Space Cadets has the dice duel version of it. Bang has a dice version of it. So this seems to be like the, another trend that's kind of developing. Yeah, Nations too has a dice game coming out. Yeah. So, and that's a super complex game. Gonna boil it down to a dice game, which is, which is kind of cool because then you get like an entry level for people who are like, I'm not paying a hundred dollars for a game that takes four hours to play and that might make me angry. Or for some people, it'll just be more fun than the actual game. Probably, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that'll be a lot of fun. Um, another one I saw, and this is, I'm only interested because in of the IP. I think it'll be interesting. Is Kill Shakespeare? Um, this is a comic series yeah. from. Uh, <laughs> And that was just a recent Kickstarter that that uh, funded too. Yeah, so it's up for pre-order now on um, all the websites. So I don't, again, who knows what that means in terms of release date? I'm sure it'll go to backers first. But um, the comic company is actually publishing this one. It's their first board game, so um, that's a big risk too if they've never done a board game before. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it does. Uh, I mean, it's all about the mechanics because the artwork looks great. The background look is is great the comics are fun so it's just if you got a decent game in there this could be a really big win for them so it'll be interesting to see how that plant pans out mm-hmm. and, and then we a- could have another trend yeah this whole uh, licensed game thing is it's obviously always been popular but now it's becoming more um people are putting more resources behind it even internal resources so we have like idw helped put together kill shakespeare we have valve was working on the uh, portal board game mm-hmm. so it's not just like here's our ip go do something with it it's like no we want to be involved we we know what we want the story we want to tell there's there's a lot of crossing the streams and working together now within a lot of the industries i know um green ronin and uh bioware and ea and de facto ea uh, work together to make Dragon Age the tabletop game, mm-hmm. the RPG, and they're I think they're still working on the third set, which I'm sure is going to coincide with Inquisition coming out soon. Mm-hmm. So like like we're seeing the beginnings of this sort of it, it could actually lead to either a really good renaissance for both board games and IPs of all of all types. It doesn't have to be just comic books or video games. It could be movies and things. And this is exactly what we heard at the panel that. Just like video games, if it had a real IP attached to it, it was almost inevitably a terrible, you know, quick kind of cash grab kind of situation. But now the board games are actually these independent small designers, or even if it is a WizKids or Fantasy Flight, they're actually spending good amounts of time developing mechanics that work with that universe and not just slapping, um, you know, an IP skin over another Monopoly game. And that's great because probably there's nothing better to bring people into the into the hobby game market as an IP that they're familiar with. So I know we talked about Attack Wing and, and Star Wars Miniatures, another great kind of, not just a skin, but a real theming of the game. All right, so that is everything we have for this week. Uh, real quick before we go, though, of course, 
you can follow us on Twitter at BGA Podcast. You can connect with us on Facebook. Just search for Board Gamers Anonymous. And of course, we have uh, the Board Gamers Anonymous website, www.boardgamersanonymous.com. And check us out on Board Game Geek. We have a guild there as well. So uh, there are half a dozen ways to find us. Find us, share your gaming experiences. If you're in the New York area, of course, Myriad Games, where we hang out. All right, so that is everything for this week. This is Anthony. This is Chris. And this is Rob. And until next time, we'll save you a seat at the table. Hey, Rob. Yes. Did you bring Splendor? Why, yes, I did, Chris. Well, I'm going to put a wild gem on that. Hold it.